be seated. Let me invite you to turn again in your copy of God's Word. It's time to our New Testament uh, passage this morning. It's found on uh, page 816 of your Pew Bibles. We are in the book of Matthew, uh, chapter 11. We'll be reading verses 25 uh, down through the end of the chapter. You may remember where we were uh, last week. Uh, Jesus had a, a fairly hard word for the unrepentant cities among whom he ministered. He performed great and mighty works amongst uh, some cities in order that they would see the kingdom of heaven was at hand and they would repent. We ended the sermon last week noting that they did not repent. They refused to repent and Jesus pronounced woes upon them. That it would be worse for them uh, than some of the most infamous enemies of Israel. It's really a sense of what it looks like to reject God and be rejected by God. Well, this morning, Jesus, just a sentence later, takes an entirely different tact and different approach. And instead of the topic of rejected by God, the topic this morning is accepted by God. It is accepted, of course, by the grace and mercy of our Savior. So let me invite you to follow along in your copy of God's Word and read uh, of that same grace and mercy, Matthew 11, verses 25 uh, down through 30. At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things, having been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. When the grass withers, the flower fades, what if our God will stand forever? Would you join me again in prayer? Heavenly Father, we come to a mighty text uh, from our Lord and Savior. We come and see the, the humility of our Lord and the gracious invitation that he offers even to rebellious people like us. Lord, I pray as you teach us this morning of our gentle and lowly Savior, oh God, you would humble us and you would soften our hearts and all that resistance we have in our flesh of coming to you, those hurdles would fall away this morning and we would hear and we would heed this glorious and gracious invitation of our Lord. Be with us in these next few minutes, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. One of the greatest landmarks uh, in our nation, in the United States of America, is, uh, of course, the Statue of Liberty. Uh, it is one of those few things you think of and you associate with uh, our nation. It stands there in uh, the harbor outside of New York, beckoning all who come to the freedom uh, of the nation for which it stands. Some of you, I'm sure, have traveled there on boats. You've seen it. Maybe you've read the inscription, the, the poem, it's on the bottom of it. I'm not going to read the whole poem, but a few sentences. This is how the poem closes. This is the invitation of the Statue of Liberty. 
closes like this. Give me your tired, your poor, your huddled masses yearning to breathe free. The wretched refuse of your teeming shore. Send these, the homeless, tempest-tossed to me. I lift my lamp beside the golden door. Those are some heady lines, aren't they? They offer quite the promise for everyone who comes seeking freedom. Those who are tired and restless will find freedom and rest by following at least this is the promise of the Statue of Liberty, by following the light and uh, the revealing work of that lamp uh, that stands there uh, outside of our nation. A golden door into all of these promises of freedom and rest. Now, I'm not going to go into whether our nation lives up to those promises or not. Because even if she lived up to every promise she offered, they would fall woefully short of the promises that Jesus offers to all who come of freedom and rest. We are offered a much greater promise than even that great promise engraved on the Statue of Liberty. And just as the statue stands holding light that all might see, so too does Jesus stand holding a greater light, shining forth a greater light, that all may see the golden door, the golden gate into an everlasting rest. Our text is simple this morning. Our idea of a sermon is simple. It is this. God reveals himself so that we might rest in him. God reveals himself so that we might rest in him. What we saw last week was a lot of restless people. John the Baptist's disciples... The crowds clamoring around Jesus and the unrepentant cities were restless. They had a wrong expectation of who Jesus was. They didn't understand who he was, and so they questioned him. They doubted him. They turned against him. They rejected him. And so at the end of all of those verses, Jesus comes to give us the truth of who he really is. And if we understand who he really is and we come to him in faith, we are not plagued by restlessness and exhaustion and unfulfilled expectations. No, we are settled in the rest that only he can give. So let's take our idea and break it into two simple parts this morning. We see in the first heading that God reveals. This is the easiest outline you're ever going to get. God reveals, we rest. That's it. God reveals, verses 25 to 27, we rest. Verses 28 to 30. Look at those first few verses. I was talking to a pastor this week, and he said, man, I love preaching verse 28, 29, and 30, but everybody skips over the two verses in front of it. They're kind of complicated. They can be a little confusing. So let's look at them. Not too long, but dive in. Look what Jesus is doing after he speaks to all these different groups. Verse 25 begins, at that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth. Jesus is now turning his attention from the doubters and the crowds and the cities. He's praying to God. And this is one of those few moments in the Bible where we get this incredible glimpse into the relationship between God the Son and God the Father. One uh, uh, theologian calls verses like this, inner Trinitarian conversation texts. We get to see this conversation that we're not a part of, but we are given a glimpse of 
God the Son speaking to God the Father. Do you remember when you were a kid, maybe, and you would go to bed, but you would hear mom and dad talking back in the living room? And you thought, what do they have to talk about when I'm not there, right? I mean, they have a life without me. But you want to you know what's going on. You want to eavesdrop on what they're talking about. And here we are eavesdropping on the, the, the greatest ongoing conversation in all of the world between the Father and the Son. It's unreal that Jesus gives us these glimpses. These texts are few and far in between in Matthew's Gospel. And so we take them seriously. What do they tell us about God the Son? What do they tell us about God the Father? What do they tell us about the triune God? Well, we can sort of s- split this up. We're looking at how God reveals. Well, we see the Father's part in verses 25 and 26. And then we see the Son's part in verse 27. So what does Jesus tell us that the Father does? I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. So God hides and reveals. The Father hides and reveals. What is it that he's hiding and revealing? Well, Jesus says these things. <laughs> I was told in seminary that as a preacher, I shouldn't use the word things. It doesn't mean anything. It's, it's not descriptive, right? It doesn't actually tell you anything about the thing you're talking about. <laughs> well, Jesus uses it here and it causes us to have to Dig a, little, dig a little bit. What is the, the context here? What is he referring to? Let's go back to what came before, where he is telling us that Jesus revealed mighty works to display the kingdom of heaven that is at hand, and yet most of the people who saw his mighty works did not repent. So his words and his works reveal the saving truth that God has for sinners. So I believe these things refers to truth that saves. This is the truth of the kingdom of heaven that is at hand. And that truth, God the Father hides from some and reveals to others. First, Jesus tells us that he hides. He hides these things, these truths, from the wise and understanding. This is not some sort of anti-intellectualism. This is not saying that uh, don't study, don't be smart. It's not saying that anyone who has a college degree can't understand the things of God. It's not that at all. This is a rebuke of the prideful and arrogant class of people who refuse to hear and learn anything from Jesus. It doesn't matter what, how many degrees or letters you have after your name, right? This has to do with the state of a heart that receives or ignores the teaching and the knowledge of God. This is a word against the arrogant. This is a word against the stubborn. This is a word against the unrepentant who would hear and see the words and works of Jesus and ignore them and refuse to repent. The Father hides these things, these truths, from the arrogant, from the wise and understanding, and he reveals them to little children. Now, Jesus is really uh, kind of puffing us Christians up, right? He calls us little children. Literally, the word here is babes, like babies. He's calling us babies. Last week, uh, we saw that he called us least in the kingdom of heaven. The week before that, we saw that he called us little ones. Uh, So he is humbling anyone who is puffed up in the understanding of following Christ. Humility, he is putting forward, 
is the path to knowing God. Not arrogance, not pride, not insisting on our own understanding in our own way, but rather humility is the way to knowing God. Most Christians, we talked about this last week, struggle with some time or other in their life with doubt. We saw that John the Baptist, when he had some doubts about the claims of Jesus, he went to Jesus with those doubts. I want to take that same idea to these verses. And what is Jesus telling us to do as those who doubt? Are we to go and take our questions and go to seek worldly wisdom and understanding? Are we to go and pursue truth outside of the word, away from Christ? Or are we to humble ourselves like little children and come to trust what he says, even if we don't fully understand it? Even if it sometimes rubs us the wrong way? Even if sometimes we can't really explain it to someone else? You see, sometimes... When we are doubting, we take this path, and it's the arrogant path of, I'm going to find my right way, my understanding, my wisdom. When Jesus is inviting us to come as children, as little children, as little ones, as babes, to hear his words and simply believe them. The Father hides certain things. He reveals certain things to certain groups of people. Now, why? Why does God reveal what he reveals to some and why does he hide what he hides from others? Well, he doesn't tell us. <laughs> he tells us, look what Jesus says, verse 26, such was your gracious will. Or maybe it's translated, for so it pleased you well. What we're talking about here is the doctrine of election. It is the sovereignty of God in choosing to reveal the knowledge of of salvation to some and choosing to hide it from others. And that very thing that God the Father does, do you note, that's the basis for Jesus thanking and praising him. Jesus doesn't come to his father and say, man, you're really being unfair here. No, he sees that God has a a perfect, sovereign, gracious will, and he praises him for it. Now, that's a hard truth for some of us, isn't it? The Bible teaches us that God ordains whatever comes to pass. And that's a truth that we we love and we take comfort in. And yet sometimes when we apply it directly to saving sinners, oh, we just kind of want to pull the punch on that one. Maybe God doesn't control that most crucial thing that happens in the world. Our confession of faith expands this idea a little bit more when it says that God chooses according to his secret counsel and the good plan of his will. And it is enough that Jesus praises him for it. The confession goes on to say, this is, quote, a high mystery. It's not, regular, it's not a regular mystery. This is a high mystery. This is a difficult mystery. We treat it carefully. And it inspires in us. It is designed to inspire in us awe and wonder and a God who has such a will beyond our comprehension that is still good and gracious. And we follow the model of Jesus praising our Father for his good and gracious will. And it leads us far from arrogance, because he hides the truth from the arrogant. It leads us to humility. How in the world could God reveal his truth to someone like me? 
We behold a high mystery and we are in awe and we praise God. We are humbled by it. These first two verses, verses 25 and 26, tell us of the Father, how the Father reveals part one, but then we get to to part two. How exactly does he do this in verse 27? And it's through the Son. This is the Son's role. Look with me at verse 27. Jesus says, all things, there's that word again. He he wouldn't have passed my preaching class in seminary. (laughs) All things have been handed over to me by my Father. What's he talking about? All things. That covers all knowledge. That covers, he will say later in the Great Commission, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. He's got it all. There's no high mystery for Jesus over the, the secret counsel of God. He has knowledge. He has authority. He has power. And specifically here, the knowledge is of what? No one knows the Son. He's talking about himself, of course. Except the Father. And no one knows the Father except the Son. So there's this mutually exclusive knowledge. Like, this is a club that you're not a part of. <laughs> this is the, the eternal, unchanging relationship within the Trinity between God the Father and God the Son, and and we're nowhere near it. It is far above us. It is far beyond us. We should be grateful that in this verse we can just eavesdrop for a moment. (laughs) But then we come to the payoff, the end of verse 27. Wait a second. It's not just the Son who knows the Father. It is also anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. All right, so no one knows the Father, except there's a special group of people, and those group of people are the ones that the Son reveals the Father to. So here's part two of this idea that God reveals. It is through the work of the Son, the agency of the Son, we might say, or we could put another way, that Jesus is the agent of, of revelation. He is the means by which the Father reveals who God is to us. So let's put that in some some basic sentences. Number one, you cannot come to God except through Jesus Christ. You cannot come to God except through Jesus Christ. There is no other religion. There is no other mediator. There's not enough books to read and enjoy. There are not enough beautiful views in nature to go see and contemplate God. There are not enough conversations with holy people you can have to know the Father. The only way, Jesus tells us, is exclusively through him, through the Son. The flip side of that, the positive side of that, is that Jesus has come to bring sinners to God. Jesus has come to bring sinners to God. Do you know why you don't know God? It's because you've sinned against him. And your father, Adam, sinned against him, and you were born in darkness. That you cannot know God. You are incapable of knowing God outside of the revealing, the shining light work of Jesus. Just as the light on the Statue of Liberty is a beacon for what is to come, so is Jesus heralding that light. And that God loves rebellious sinners, so he has sent his Son to speak words of truth and life that you might believe. 
That he has come not only preaching, he has come accomplishing good works, and those works will culminate in his death itself to stand in the way of sinners. He shines light on what he has done to open that golden door. I don't care how patriotic you are, there is not a golden door to the United States. (laughs) There is a golden door to heaven. And it is the finished work of our Lord upon the cross. Do you want to know God? Trust Jesus. Believe in Jesus. He is revealing the way to the Father by his ministry and his work. You see how this stands in the face of all of the other wrong expectations. Everybody else and what they thought, what they wanted Jesus to be. He tells us in these verses who he really is. It strikes us, quite frankly, dumb and awestruck that he is one with the Father in unity, he is God the Son, existing forever with God the Father, and he brings us, lowly little children like us, through faith to know this God. So in this first part, God reveals we see everything happening there in God the Father and God the Son. And, and, and so we should be somewhat surprised then that we switch in verse 28 and gives responsibility to you and me we are given a command maybe we could call it an exhortation i like to call it an an invitation i'm going to show you in these last three verses the second heading of our sermon is that we rest god reveals and we rest these verses are wonderful they're they're glorious come to me all who labor and are heavy laden and i will give you rest take my yoke upon you and learn from me For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. These are sort of repetitive. Let's break it down and put them all back together. First, the invitation, come to me. It's as simple as it gets. Come to me, take my yoke upon you. Who is Jesus inviting in these verses? Uh, He is inviting all who labor and are heavy laden. This is the language of carrying a burden. It's a language of being weighed down by by some sort of weight, some sort of pack. Uh, I think about this every morning when my kids have these gigantic backpacks that they take to school with them. I swear they're going to have like spine problems when they grow up. These backpacks are huge and they're just bent over this this burden. Maybe you know what it's like. Maybe in your job or your work, uh, around your home, you uh, are working and bearing a burden What is the burden that Jesus is speaking of? It's the burden of sin. It is the crushing weight of sin upon us. The guilt of sin that assaults us as we face our inability to keep God's law. It is the power of sin that seems to chain us and restrain us when we want to do good. But sin is is right there. It is crouching at the door. It It is pulling us back. It is the burden of the law because the law is something that can tempt us to think if I could just go keep the law more, I could reduce this burden of sin on my back. But what happens? We fail to keep the law and so the sin is mounted up more and more on our back. To add to that, we don't bear this burden in a climate-controlled environment walking peacefully on a treadmill. (laughs) We bear this burden, as the biblical image tells us, Under the sun, 
We live outside of the garden, east of Eden, under the the, uh, oppressive world of sorrows. That we are not in a peaceful meadow. We are walking in thorns and thistles. And we are assaulted by the elements. We We are burdened by the sin of our own lives. We are burdened by the sorrows that come to us as a result of the sinful fallen world around us. And so Jesus invites all those who are burdened and heavy laden, who labor and are heavy laden, to do what? To come to him. To come to him. That's supposed to be worded as easy as it could possibly be. (laughs) Not to take that burden and go an extra mile, because Jesus is at the end of that road. (laughs) Not just work a little harder, not just endure for one more week, and then you can come to Jesus. No, not wait until you have fixed yourself up. No, now. Drop your burden of sin and guilt and shame and sorrow at his feet. Come to Jesus. But then he complicates it. Because the invitation says, take. Take my yoke. That sounds hard, doesn't it? <laughs> a, a yoke is, is, well, it's another type of burden. It's supposed to ease the burden. It's supposed to help an animal bear it with another animal. But it's still a weight. It's still a burden. Is Jesus just telling us, trade in one thing for the other? Is it the, the, the weight of sin for the weight and exhaustion of being a Christian? Is that what Jesus is telling us to do? Look how he describes his yoke. His yoke is easy and his burden is light. Here's what's complicated about this. Is that as we drop our burden, we are told to pick up another one. And that other burden, that yoke, is following Jesus. This is the language of work. It's the language of intentional discipleship. It's the language of following after Jesus, of submitting to him and following him. And, and we think in our sinful state, man, that sounds exhausting. <laughs> Somebody else I got to pick up something for? Something else I have to do? Some other law I have to follow? Is Jesus harsh and demanding like the, all of the laws in the Old Testament? What does he tell us about himself? He is meek and humble in heart. He is gentle and lowly. This means he is like us in every way, yet without sin. He gets tired like we do. He was hungry. He was thirsty. He even wept. And so he does not come to a people that he sympathizes with to load up more burdens upon us. No, he comes compassionate and humble and offering a yoke that is easy, a burden is light. As John will say later, his commandments are not burdensome. He doesn't give us work. He gives us rest. This is the result. You will find rest for your souls. You might remember the story in the book of Exodus of the Hebrews, people enslaved in Egypt to Pharaoh, and they uh, were uh, servants, slaves of his, and had to make him all of these bricks. You remember this? And they complained uh, about the bricks and how hard it was, and Pharaoh ramped up the requirements. More bricks, less time, less straw, right? And he, the, the word there in Exodus chapter 5 is that they had to do this without rest. Pharaoh is a harsh taskmaster. The people cry out, God sends Moses after 
a series of events. Moses leads his people to the promised land, a land of rest. This is God redeeming sinful, burdened people from weary, exhausting labor into rest. That rest has a couple layers of meaning. In one sense, it's a, it's a future rest. It's an, it's an eschatological, we might say. It's an end times rest where we have the promise that the, the crushing weight of guilt will not count against us on the day of the return of Jesus. That we are promised a land of rest. We will enter that land of rest by faith in Jesus who takes away the guilt and the penalty of our sin. But it's not just that today we have a heavy load and man, it's a good thing I'm going to get rid of that in 40 years. <laughs> I just got to hold it a little bit longer. No, the, the rest is future and it is today. It's not rest for your bodies, it is rest for your souls. It is, we can also translate that word, relief. It is present relief. It is a, a deep rest at peace with God that no country can offer, that no relationship in this life can offer. One of the psalmists uh, speaks of this rest. Uh, he speaks of it in Psalm 131. You may remember this, that the image there is of a nursing baby in the lap of her mother. And the baby is restless. The baby just wants some food from mom, right? The baby doesn't want to sit calmly with mom. The baby just wants something from mom. And, and some of you can sympathize with this, right? A, a restless, anxious child that will not calm down in your lap. The psalmist says that's like us with God. And then verse 2 David writes, but I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with his mother, not wanting anything, not needing anything, not demanding anything, not restless, at peace, like a weaned child is my soul within me. So let's put this back together. Jesus is calling you to come and rest in him. What might that look like? for you are you weary and heavy laden are the sins of your heart weighing you down come to Jesus are you dwelling in deep darkness are you dead in your trespasses and sins are you following the course of the world are you following the prince of the power of the air come to Jesus and be saved are you crushed by the weight of sin are you hounded by the accusations of the evil one? Are you buried by the guilt of sin? Has your sin mounted up higher than your head? Is the siren call of the idols in your life ringing endlessly in your ears? Are temptations of the enemy always in front of you? Come and be released. Has the conviction of your sin become unshakable? Has the shame of your sin become unbearable? Has the power of your sin become unbreakable? Come and be forgiven. Have you tried to keep the law, but you have found no freedom? Have you obeyed every rule, but you're still enslaved? Have you done everything, but it's still not enough? Come and be free. Are you scared and afraid? 
Do your insides churn without end? Do your tears forever flow? Does your mind race again and again back to the same dark thoughts? Come and find relief. Maybe you refuse to be comforted. Maybe you have a root of bitterness that has sprung up within you. Maybe you are straining gnats. Maybe you are withholding forgiveness. Maybe you are burning with anger. Maybe you are returning evil for evil. Come and be forgiven. Maybe you're just plain weary of life under the sun. Maybe the worries and sorrows of life are wearing you down. Come. To the parents who are exhausted and overwhelmed by your children. To the young couple that is so tired for the long wait for a first child. To the older parents who are overwhelmed with worry for your wayward child, come and rest. To the unmarried who are yearning for a spouse. To the married who are burdened by their spouse. The bridegroom says, come and he will give you rest. To the caregivers who are wearied of the daily task of serving someone else. To those of you who are under the sentence of death that is arriving at any moment. To the ones who continue to grieve and mourn the loss of a loved one, come to Jesus and he will hold you fast. To those who are living in silent and secret sin, who are weary of wandering from your God, come. If you keep turning to the store or to the couch or to the screen or to the bottle, come to Jesus. Are you working a dead-end job? Or is the pressure of your job too much to handle? Is your chronic pain leading you into despair? Have you lost count of your sleepless nights? Jesus says, come. To the poor in spirit and those who mourn, to the meek, And those who hunger for righteousness, he says, come and be satisfied. To those who have laid up treasure on earth only to find that moth and rust have destroyed and the thief has broken in to steal, come and lay up your treasure in heaven. To those who are anxious about what you will eat and drink, about your body, what you will put on, come and seek first the kingdom of God. To those who have built a house on the sand, and the rain and the flood and the winds have knocked it down. Come and build your house on the rock. To the blind and the deaf, to the poor and the needy, to those who are sick and know you need a physician, come and be healed. To those who are harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd, come to the good shepherd who calls you by name. For he is the good shepherd. He lays down his life for the sheep. He emptied himself. He humbled himself. He became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. He is gentle and lowly. He is meek and humble. He promises that a bruised reed he 